welcome to episode 12 of the IntelliCast podcast brought to you by EMI Research Solutions. My name is Adam Jolly and joining me as always is my co-host, Brian Lamar. Brian, how are you? Great, how are you? I'm doing fantastic. Um, as always, please reach out to us at IntelliCast at EMI-RS.com with any questions, uh, any answers, any uh, ideas for guests, any ideas for topics, any ideas for Mount Rushmore. We'll be happy to jump on those. Uh, you can always follow EMI on Twitter, EMI underscore research. Uh, myself, my personal Twitter, Adam Jolly, all one word. And Brian, your Twitter is? You know, update. I've got an update. Okay, I'm ready. I'm considering getting a Twitter to build my brand. I feel like I, I'm, I really have a strong brand. And I need to... Or that you don't have a strong brand? <laughs> well, I'm trying to build a brand. Okay. And as a step of that, I should probably have a Twitter account to... You know, that people. Uh, a lot of feedback we get, I don't know if you knew this, is more ranting, more oh, really? opinions. <laughs> I don't check that. I don't check my ads, my mentions. <laughs> so I'm thinking about maybe doing some on the side of the telecast. Doing you some build your brand up. I think it's great. So when um, when are you going to have your your new resume done? And is it like an immediate thing or it'll be a private Twitter account? Oh, okay, okay. Just making sure we're building brands. I mean, I'm figuring there's got to be a transition. I think is what they call it uh, along the way. Uh, today's guest will be Adam Dietrich of EMI. We're bringing Adam on. Um, he is our first repeat guest, which is kind of exciting, right? That we've already. The wells run dry on episode 12. Well, this is it. Okay, here we are. Um, and we're bringing back in Adam. Uh, Adam is our political expert at EMI. He does a lot of the political polling type work. And um, recently was published in Green Book website with his thoughts on the Cambridge Analytica Facebook. Um, would you call it scandal? Or is that a strong word? A little bit of a strong word, maybe. Skerfuffle? Sk- That's not a word, right? Incident? Yeah, incident. I think that's the best one to say. Uh, Brian, what's been going on with you? Um, you know, not much. We're planning a Keeneland trip. We talked about that in the last podcast. We're trying to either rent a bus, a minivan, a shuttle, a flight. About 15, 20 of us. Are you, are you in, by the way? I don't even know if you're in. Yeah, no one has asked me, first of all. It's one thing, like, so this was a big deal, like, for me, when I move into this office. I'm like, great, I got an office. Next thing you know, I'm having to decorate stuff because all the walls are just bare white. And it looked like a serial killer in here. And then I miss half the music that we play. I used yeah. to be the office DJ. Yeah. Half the time I walk out right now and it's just like smooth jazz. Yeah. It's like Jeffrey Benson. Well, Freddie Jackson. We're letting millennials and Canadians take over the music. This is your fault. I did walk out the other day. I was like, hey, is someone going through something or are we listening to a lot of Weekend out there? <laughs> like everything is like smooth R&B. Like is somebody going through something or somebody feeling themselves? Is this like Club Erotica here at EMI now? Right. It's, Gosh. Yeah. It's embarrassing. Uh, but no, I was not asked, but I do have plans. Um, okay. I've thought about trying to cancel my plans, but I talked with the wife. Kermit Mrs. Jolly last night told me that we have a joint birthday party between our children. Oh. Six and three. They're together. We had made a deposit on a place. Okay. So I can't bail. Well... If I want to keep her as the current Mrs. Jolly, I probably can't, can't bail on it. So. Just have the party at Keeneland. Kids love horses. <laughs> Can you ride a, Can you ride right. a horse? Can you ride it? How you feeling? You feeling strong, buddy? What? Uh, any plans this weekend? Um, I'm actually going to the casino this weekend. Man, that what weekend? a lifestyle. I just know. full of vices. The little Cincinnati. Not, we're not going to Vegas or anything. Just going to the Cincinnati um, casino. Put a, I'm going to enter a poker tournament. 
Is that your game? You play poker? I'm not a big poker fan, but I feel like I watch a lot of um, Nolan and Hold'em on TV, so I can <laughs> I can play. I can do a little blackjack. A couple hours. That's not too bad. Yeah. What yeah. Tonight is date night in the Jolly Household. Uh, my wife, it is her plan to, her her turn, I guess, to play on the date night. So we are doing a salt float. Oh, Yeah. Uh, yeah, it apparently is something a bigger deal now because it was on like Modern Family a couple weeks ago or something. Yeah. But I, I, from what I imagine, I'm in six to a foot, six inches to a foot of salty, salty water, and there's some kind of ambient lighting and hypnotic music, and I'm basically I'm in like a clamshell, and they shut the clam on me, and I'm in, and it's a coffin. Let's just say I'm in a coffin, and I'm being kept alive by this salt water, and I'm in there for an hour of just me and my own thoughts. Can you watch a baseball game? No, because I ask even, like, can I bring in my own music? Can I listen to something? And they're like, well, that kind of defeats the purpose because we really want you to turn your brain off. Yeah. And it's more of a relaxation thing. But I don't want to listen to the Watercolors XM station. I want to listen to a podcast. Right. No, I want to listen to, like, Master's Thoughts. Things yeah. like that. Yeah. I don't want to... So that's kind of a downer, but um, I'll probably love it. I'm, I was telling somebody this morning, I really love going to the dentist because it really is like a place where I can turn off. I lay in a seat. My mouth is open. I can't talk. They can't talk to me. Just do your work. Do what you got to do to me and get me out of here. Where every other part of the day, like I'm on, I'm talking to somebody, I'm calling somebody, I'm writing emails, I'm censoring myself. That should be pretty good. <laughs> I love the dentist. Escape. The dentist is escape. And that's where I am as a 35-year-old man going to the dentist for an escape. Uh, <laughs> uh, other than that, no. Then uh, we're doing something called a cryo facial afterwards. Yeah. Should be great. I mean, I'm, I'm imagining I'm getting something frozen. And then uh, we're going to dinner, which I think will not be healthy. I think that's like her compromise to me is that we're going to get burgers and beers and maybe go to a brewery. So 50 West it's brewery here in Cincinnati. Nice. This is my hood. Yeah. I'll, I'll stop. On. Stop on down. We'll play some shuffleboard. I'll be frozen. Slash very, very salty. Some sand volleyball. It'll be great. Uh, let's jump into the interview. Are you ready to talk to Adam? I can't wait. Me too. Uh, hopping on the line with us now is Adam Dietrich of EMI Research Solutions. Adam has been with the company for eight years, I believe. Uh, currently located in our Chicago office. Leads most of our political polling type of research. A couple of weeks ago, as I mentioned, Adam was published on Green Book with his thoughts on the Facebook Cambridge Analytica news. Adam, how are you? Not too bad. Thanks for having me. I'm I'm proud to be the uh, the first repeat guest. Yeah, I was wondering what your reaction would be. Would it be pride or shame in yourself? But I'm glad you're going the proud route. Uh, we are still the number one podcast in Southeast Ohio on market research, and uh, we uh, actually were talking earlier before we uh, had you on the line about putting together some kind of swag bag as an appreciation for you, um, you know, friend of the pod type T-shirt, something like that. So we appreciate you coming on. Perfect. Can't wait to, uh, to unwrap the uh, terrible gifts you guys have sent my way. It's going to be great. So talk to me. Let's start like entry-level Cambridge Analytica Facebook. So I know that what I can get on TV and that type of music might be scary, but give me the uh, home for Thanksgiving meeting the parents nutshell of what this Cambridge Analytica Facebook story is. Sure. So Cambridge Analytica has a lot of similar kind of traits to what we see in, in market research as a whole, as well as in the political campaign, public opinion stratosphere. 
Uh, what they've done is they've built kind of a proprietary model that collects uh, all types of different data on people. So it's obviously the Facebook side of things that you've heard about, but it's also things like uh, their memberships in frequent flyer programs, their uh, Nielsen television data. It's it's a lot of consumer things as well as some of the behavioral attitudinal things that we've heard along the way. And what they've done, and the reason that they've gotten in trouble, is they haven't collected all that data in the, uh, the cleanest, most legal of ways. Um, of course, Congress is looking into potential collusion with Russia, sharing that data with foreign governments, foreign entities. And Facebook is obviously catching a lot of heat as well because they've kind of, they haven't done the best job at, at protecting data, whether it's Cambridge Analytica or some of the other parts around the election that we've heard about, where they've, they've kind of shared a lot of personal information and, and things along those lines. So why am I mad as a consumer, as a voter? Why am I mad on my side? Sure. So a lot of this stuff is data that we're signing up to give away, right? So everybody's familiar with downloading the new version of iTunes and just clicking through and saying, yes, I agree to the terms and conditions. And, you know, we do that five, ten times a week, right? right. And in all of those situations that data is being aggregated and sent along to researchers, to brands, to all kinds of different uses. The reason that people are upset this time around is uh, they were kind of unwittingly exposed in a lot of ways on the Facebook side because a lot of this original data was collected as part of a personality test gotcha. done by Cambridge, hence the Cambridge Analytica side. Uh, Cambridge psychologists trying to help people determine, you know, their psychological types, right? Got it. Uh, so it's just basically, uh, you know, those standard kinds of, of Facebook games. You know, you take the test and find out which character of friends you are. It was something like that. But the issue that, that's arisen and the reason you should be upset is because that information also took information from all of your friends on Facebook as well. Ah, so there's a rub. So if I'm a voter and let's say on my profile, I already like, you know, I like the gun range down the street. I have putting a lot of Easter pics of my family on. I kind of drive into those like typical GOP, like not, they're not stereotypes. If that's the main reason why the party goes, like I'm not so upset that this happened because I was going to vote a certain way anyway. Right. Like if, if I was voting a certain way and that's how it happened, that I'm not too sad. But the big thing is that it wasn't just my information. It was all my friends information as well. Correct. And, and the part that's a little scary is I don't think people realize how much information they've given up. The CEO of Cambridge Analytica uh, late last year was giving a speech at, at some conference and said that they estimate having between four and five thousand data points on every single U.S. adult. Oh boy! So it's more than just the things that you publicly like, and you think you realize you realize that hey, okay, people know this about me. This is four to five thousand data points. And how many and people are we talking about of, in general? Sorry, how many people are we talking about? Like, how is it all of Facebook? Is it just a select few? Well, the part that's kind of catching the most legal heat is the around eighty million uh, folks from Facebook specifically. Okay. 
the, but Cambridge Analytica says they've got the whole 200 million plus adults in the U.S. Is that Out, just a marketing play them. on them? Is that just a look how bad we are? Bad boys. <laughs> it's it's something. And the, the other part, kind of getting into the, the creepy part, okay. is their, um, their CEO talked about last year that in general, based on the number of likes that they have recorded from you, the more likely they are to be able to predict your answers to certain questions. And so the, the baseline that he gives is um, was based on, I think, about 70 likes. They said that they were able to outguess and kind of outknow your own personal friends. Jeez. With 150 likes, they knew more about you than your parents. Okay. And 300 likes was more than was more than your wife, partner, husband, spouse, etc. would know about you. Jeez. Okay, I'm starting to get it now. It's a big deal. Um, how does this affect like the market research industry? Like, what if things come of the? I know you wrote in Green Book, and there was a couple other blogs in Green Book about it. But how is the? How does this affect market research? Have you seen any type of like outcry from like any organizations or anything? Thus far, I think the industry has been probably a little too quiet. Okay. Uh, what I wrote about, and I think Brian Lamar has got some good thoughts on this too, is I think we're running into the potential for a big loss in public trust. And I think, you know, you've seen campaigns of people saying that they're deleting their Facebooks and, and those types of things. And my fear is that it's only a matter of time before general kind of authentic market research is going to get grouped in with some of these shadier characters. And so the examples I gave in the blog were, are people going to become less likely to share their voting intentions when they get uh, a polling phone call? Gotcha. Are they going to be less likely to really open up when we're asking them personal health questions? Those kinds of things are where this could get really out of hand for, for the research for the research industry. I gotcha. Yeah. Well, I guess taking a step back a little bit, who... If you were to place blame on somebody, so obviously Facebook is going to get a lot of blame because of who they are as a brand. And I think people in general, like it becomes like oversaturation in any type of brand that you start to think like maybe they're the bad guys. Is it them? Is it Cambridge Analytica, the people that were mining this and kind of using it for something else? Or I think the, the easiest target because maybe the most enemies is like the GOP. But... Who really is the biggest at fault on this? Sure. I think it's hard to blame one side. I mean, Facebook is is going to get hauled in front of Congress next week. Uh, Zuckerberg's going to testify in front of a, a joint House and Senate committee. And he's probably going to go to, to the UK to testify in front of Parliament as well. And they're going to get the, the worst brunt of the public condemnation because they are right. so massive. Gotcha. But I think the the issues that are really most damning are really going to come toward the Cambridge Analytica side. Okay. Because at the end of the day, they were the ones that really pushed the limits. I gotcha. You know, they're the ones that, they're, they're going to, their biggest fear is going to be if, if any of this data got to, to Russia, then they're, they're going to have some major legal issues. 
But outside of that, if you just take a look at what they've done, where they collected information kind of under the guise of academic research, they kind of created this entire, I don't know, subsector of, of research where you're just pulling as much data as possible and claiming you're able to predict things. I, I think that they're going to have the, the, the biggest kind of uphill battle at, at continuing to be a company and get funding and all those kinds of things. I get you. And then what about like the CEO? Like you hear everything from like bribe allegations and everything like that. Is he, is he a good dude? Let's just be honest. If you think about with everything that's coming out, I think he tried to go the martyr type route by coming out and breaking the silence, but then maybe, you know, exploiting the numbers, going crazy with how big everything was like, no, no, we were bigger than that. And some of the bribe allegations, like, like what are your thoughts there? What happens? I have no idea. I, they've had um, kind of a, a revolving door of, uh, of, a, of trustees and, and leadership in that company. Yeah. And I, I imagine it'll just continue. Um, they have some really cool tools, right? They have some really unique assets that can can be really cool and, and powerful for, for brands and for campaigns and for understanding public opinion. But over the course of two, three, four years, they've already shown that it, it's not the, the best run of companies. There's certainly uh, quite a bit of moral gray area. And I don't, I, I don't know. I don't really know what specifically is going to happen there, but I yeah. can't imagine any campaign or any brand will, will want to publicly touch them <laughs> after the last two weeks. Brian, you have something? I have something. something. This, this is, is my concern. concern. And Adam, that was great. That was a, that's awesome. I, I thought you were getting more political, but you were super fair. That was awesome. Um, my question is, are you concerned about from the legislative side? So typically when these things happen, um, the U.S. might overreact and start legislating, putting all these new rules in place, and then they can talk to share information and privacy. And in turn, that's going to make our lives tougher as researchers. So is that something that we should be concerned about, in your opinion? It is. It is. I, I, think, that, I think that the public trust issue is still the number one thing, right? That I think that we need to do a better job. We talked about this last time I was on. We need to do a much better job about explaining what market research is, how polling works, right? Last time we talked about the fact that if you uh, look at any poll that's announced on Twitter, all the mentions are, well, they didn't call me. They don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the area that, that market research firms, researchers, brands, etc all need to kind of come together and, and produce some kind of public front. Because at the end of the day, if people don't want to participate, that's going to, to cause much more issues than any type of legislation. In terms of the legislative side, though, I think I think it's going to be an uphill battle, too. Because there, it's an election year. There are going to be people clamoring after next week's testimony for... GDRP kind of style, European style privacy legislation. Right. And that's going to be politically popular. And it's going to be imperative for uh, the research industry lobbyists, for brands, for basically everyone to make sure that we don't go too far. Yeah. And I wonder with as pro business and ease of legislation on capitalism as the current administration has pushed, 
how does that affect this? This is kind of the first big test for them, right? I mean, as much as we've seen, you know, a lot of legislation rolled back, a lot of things were done by the Obama administration overturned, and then the stock mm-hmm. market goes crazy and is awesome. And then there's the tariff situation, and then the stock market reacts. And how does this, like, sharing of information, I guess, what does that fall under, you know? Definitely. And deregulation has been politically popular. It's, it's polling better um, the last couple of years than it ever has. And that's part of the, you know, the, the kickback, I guess, to uh, an eight-year, you know, Democratic legislation or Democratic administration. But this is going to be the first time since the Trump White House has existed where pop culture and political opinion mm-hmm. are all going to be fighting for more regulation. Mm-hmm. So right. it'll it'll be interesting, certainly. My last question about this is um, in next week, you and I will be in a large U.S. city together that I will remain nameless. Uh, but we'll probably talk about it later. But right now, we'll keep it secret. So next week, we're going to be a city together. We're going to be talking to a lot of people, a lot of prospects, a lot of clients. And if people were to ask you, I noticed when I was on the road last week, a lot of more people were asking about privacy. A lot of more people were asking about data and information. What is, I guess, what is your pitch for that? Sure. And I think I think it's important for us as uh, a brain that touches, you know, consumers and, and respondents to, to have a real clear understanding of what's going on, what kind of trends are developing, and where those you know, moral gray areas have, have popped up. From an EMI perspective and from a, an online research perspective, I think that every company needs to be aware of all of how their data is handled. They need to obviously be up to date on all of the uh, a legislative side, but B kind of industry standards on how we handle data, uh, how our clients are asking questions, uh, those kinds of things. And also just making sure that we have, um, you know, the respondent interest at heart, right? I think yeah. more often than not, it's really easy to get into a, a situation where we got to get this project done. We got to get things moving, et cetera. You know, that's how that goes. It's true across any platform. But what we need to always do is make sure that we stop, take a look, making sure that A, the questionnaire is doing things right, but B, the data collection side is right, and C, that the back-end usage is in line with our standards and with what respondents expect. I gotcha. Good. Thanks, Adam. I appreciate it. Lamy, any other questions to Adam about this? I have one more question. It's a little bit separate topic, I think. In your opinion, Adam, do you think this is going to get worse before it gets better. So Facebook is just one giant company that um, obtains a lot of information about people. But I keep thinking about the amount of information that Google knows about us, that Apple knows about us. So Google, for example, if you have a droid especially, they know they know your search history, they know everywhere you go, they, they know your emails, they know the ads that you've seen, they know the, the ads that um, you've responded to. They know your purchase history, and you know, Amazon's the same way. And Amazon's under fire from Trump alone. So there's all kinds of like these these few giant companies that have a massive amounts of information. And do you think they're trying to cover their tracks, or what? Do you have any opinion on that? I think that they've really achieved critical mass before anybody stopped. 
to look and say, okay, am I giving up too much? Because if you look at your phone right now, right, you've got 20 plus apps downloaded already, and each one is collecting data from you. You probably, Amazon knows more things that you bought than you do, certainly. Yeah. Right. And I can't imagine going a day without Google. Right. <laughs> and I think that's true across the board. We're so dependent upon these, um, on these different services. And the, the, I don't know, the best, uh, kind of summary that I've heard is, you know, if you think about things and you want to be more, uh, sensitive to data collection, you need to figure out that if, if a product is free, if a service or an app or any of these things are free, you and your data are the, are, are the purchase price. Right. How scary, Adam? I don't know about you. I'm not scared. I'm not scared. I'm ready to take responsibility for my actions. Like, ultimately, like, I'm the person that yeah. lets things go. I'm the person that's taking the survey. You agree to all these terms. And there's not a lot of gotcha moments in my life, <laughs> to be honest. So that's kind of where I stand. But, um, Adam, that was great. I appreciate it. Um, and we can find the blog on Green Book, right? Correct, yeah. Uh, it's still on the uh, the front page of uh, the Green Book blog. If you just click blog, and uh, uh, it's, uh, it's called Cambridge or Facebook and Cambridge Analytica, A Turning Point in Data Collection. Got it. Thank you so much. Adam, thank you for that talk. We're going to move now into the research rant of the week with Brian Lamar taking the responsibility today. Brian, whenever you're ready, what's got you mad about research? Here's what's got me mad. So I was in a meeting last week in New York, and a, a client mentioned that um, they don't know how to choose a sample provider. And I thought to myself, We've, as an industry, we've created lots of documents. We've, been, we've created one-pagers on how to choose a sample provider. So I came back to the office, started reading through the SMR28. And for those of you that don't aren't aware, the SMR28 is uh, 28 questions that SMR, kind of the governing body of market research, I guess, uh, global, has determined. These are the 28 questions that everyone, if you're going to sell a sample, needs to ask. And that way you can compare and contrast what uh, sample company A says, what sample company B says. So I'll read through these questions, and um, question one is, what's your experience with sample? Question two is, where do you find your respondents? Now, that's a very important question. Um, and I'm reading through SMR 28 after SMR 28 of major sample providers, and many of them don't answer this question. They, they, they use it as a selling tool. They talk about that use vague terms or they don't answer the question at all. And that's kind of frustrating, um, both from the sample side, which part of me does, says, hey, put some sales information in there and sell yourself. But, but the buying community is not pushing back on this. How are they not demanding transparency? Uh, what is an affiliate network? What does that even mean? Like, will people put actual websites they're recruiting on? That's one of them. The second question, number question number three in SMR 28 is, What's your experience with blending sample? And this is something kind of near and dear to us as aggregators. But, and it's, again, I've only gone through the first three questions, by the way. And, again, people don't answer the question, and people will just sell themselves. And it's very frustrating because I think this kind of lends itself to a perception of poor quality and a perception of lack of transparency in our industry. And I blame both uh, sample companies and I blame the, buy the buyers. Any reaction to that? I'm done. I'll tell you my reaction. Uh... Okay, it's for the sample company, yes. It's for the buyers, yes. 
I think the third party is SMR or yep. Insights Group, whoever is putting this on there, because there has I I don't know of anyone that has made an SMR twenty eight <laughs> and that has then been rejected out of SMR because of it. <laughs> so what is the review process for these type of documents? And so if I'm a buyer and someone says, Okay, so what are there any governing bodies? Yes, there are governing bodies. Say we have SMR as a governing body internationally checking on the integrity of market research and data. Right. Great. Do they have you fill out any forms? Yes. They make us fill out this SMR 28 form. Great. Can you send me that form? And I have a trust in that governing body that they're going to do something. The same way like I would trust right. anything. Right? Okay, there's a governing body. Like, I trust that that's going to happen. And then right. when you read over it, then you know some of the, the sales pitch and things go into it. So I think it's a three prong thing. I think if 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 SMR were to come down with an iron fist on sample companies, they would react and act better than the and and not put those sales type things in there, and then the buyer would um, not have to be educated not only on market research, not only on sample, but then they wouldn't have to be educated on the legality of right. you know governing bodies. So that's where I stand on that. That's that's nice. Thank you for adding to my rant. Hey, no problem. Um, let's move on to the um, more interesting, the fun part. We're going to learn a little bit more about it. Adam, Adam, you've already been on the podcast before, so you do not get the four Ps today. It's kind of weird. I struggled with them last time. It's okay. Good. <laughs> you did. So I, I really was talking, thinking about some things. Like, What more can we learn about you? And um, one of the things that I think makes you a little bit um, more like a rarefied air for market research is that you work remote. You know, we're... Majority of our company is here in Cincinnati. You have, uh, you obviously started out here. You worked in London for over a year and now you're in Chicago. What does it feel like? Like, what is it like to work for a company and work remote? You work out of uh, primarily your home office, right? Yeah, yeah, I do. And it's, uh, it's, it's different. I think I, I, this is actually one of my favorite conversations to have, uh, with, with other remote workers because it's, it's a unique experience kind of every day. I think, um, my, my my favorite kind of depiction of it is that I have days where I am ten times as productive and focused as I am if I were in in our headquarters, and I have days where I am ten times worse at being effective or or being focused as if I were in the uh, in the headquarters. That's it's uh, you know it's a combination of not having a ton of distractions, but it's also not uh, not a lot of folks to uh, keep me. On task, right? Uh, we're right. we're speaking now uh, as the masters is going on, and I, I think you know when I was in our, our headquarters, we'd have it on a TV and we'd occasionally sneak a glance. Oh, it is. But um, but when you're sitting here alone, you know the uh, tiger makes a late push, and all of a sudden, ten minutes are gone. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. How often do you go out and try to work from like a coffee shop or some kind of even like a like a shared space type place? Sure, I do that uh, two or three days a week usually, um, and I kind of like to switch it up. And it's it's good. It's it's nice to kind of people watch and kind of feed off other folks' energy. Great, but yeah, it can also be a bit of distraction. Uh, <laughs> there are there are certain coffee shops in, here in Chicago that uh, can be a little loud, uh, can be a little uh, aggressive and boozy in the early afternoons, especially if you're like at a hotel uh, coffee shop bar. For sure, so you got to kind of pick your right spot. But in general, I, I I've enjoyed it. Well, it, it, was, it makes me feel a little bit more liberated to get out and, and go see clients and 
and have conversations and things like that. So it's, it's good, but it's definitely uh, a battle each day. Well, I would say I just had this conversation with my wife the other day because we always, and you wouldn't guess it by this podcast, but we always rank things in our lives. And she was, we were talking about uh, coffee shops the other day. And I said, you know, I would think besides like our local Starbucks, the place that I've bought coffee from more than anywhere else in this world is the Starbucks inside the Intercontinental Hotel on Michigan Avenue. And every time I go in there, it's great. But every time I go in there, like it was always so loud and it was everyone was not from Chicago. Everyone had laptops out and there's the orders. And plus, it is a hotel right there as well. And it was so crazy, and I just couldn't imagine like trying to get any work done at a place like that. Yeah, like I said, you gotta you gotta pick your pick your spots. Um, I've got a few that I can walk to and kind of uh, you know get some fresh air along the way. But then um, there are some that uh, are, are loud, some are quiet, and it's I don't know. But but some there are days when a loud, super active, busy coffee shop is kind of what you need. You know. I gotcha. How is uh, wedding planning going? Uh, I don't know. You'd have to ask my fiance, probably. <laughs> what is your role? What are you doing? Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, I've actually got, I've got a little rant on this. Okay. Uh, I think. Jump into think, it. Sure. Jump into it. Just, we don't even have an agenda. Just jump into your rant. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I think that, it, you know, I, I got engaged, um, a little over a year ago. And, you know, folks always reach out and say, okay. You know, it's, it's, it's the day that your, your future wife has been dreaming about since, uh, since she was a child. And it, at the end of the day, it's going to mean more to her than it probably will to you. So, you know, defer as much as you can. And I, I've done that. You know, I've, I've sure. picked, I've picked my spots, you know, uh, cake tasting. Good. And, yeah. you know, tuxes. Oh, the hard stuff. Things yeah. like that. Uh, sure. The good stuff. Um, and let her control the, the parts that, that she has, you know, a better eye for, honestly, and um, and and a more intense kind of appreciation for. I got gotcha. you. But then, my my rant revolves around the vendors. Save it, save it for the non-research. Um, oh yeah, save it. Let it build. Let it fester inside of you. I was wondering though. I know that I know that I'm working the guest book at your wedding, but I also I know that. You asked me to do the unity part, and I was wondering, do you want to do the thing where both of you come with a candle and you light one candle, or do you want to do the things where you have both have different sand? I was also thinking about rice, like if one of you has like basmati and one of you has more like a wild grain, and then you mix them together. Um, have you guys made a decision that? <laughs> we have not finalized that part. Uh, don't forget about couscous, though. Okay. That's a, that's a part of rice that we, we really appreciate here in our home. Just let me know, because I need to know, like, do I need to check a bag, or do I could just carry that on? Um, I, I can hear Brian laughing on the on the outside, but uh, Adam Jolly has been like a big brother uh, to me for a long time, and he has uh, convinced himself that he's officiating while being my best man. I think you're walking me down the aisle as well, right? <laughs> well, I mean, if duty calls, yes. Perfect. <laughs> Well, let's jump into now. We are going to do one of the P's. We are going to do a Mount Rushmore. Uh, so our Mount Rushmore this week, since you're in Chicago, Chicago, one of the greatest places to eat in the country. And so we want to get Adam Dietrich. What is your top four? What is your Mount Rushmore of restaurants in Chicago? This was the most difficult thing I've done this week. 
Great. Um, I'm Can't a, a long-time Chicago resident. You know, I've been here for all, a little over a year. So I uh, obviously have deep roots in, in the Chicago culinary scene. Yeah. Uh, but when I'm trying to put this together, I decided that I was going to make sure I hit the unique aspects of Chicago. So obviously deep dish, obviously steakhouse, you know, get those things. So my first one is the best pizza in Chicago. Pequod's Pizza. Correct. It's uh, located in Lincoln Park area. It's affordable. It's, it doesn't try to be too much. It's always got a line out the door. They Their unique feature is they uh, they burn the crust a little bit more. Oh, yeah. It's probably about 3,000 calories just for a small, and it's worth it every time. It's less casserole, more pizza. <laughs> it's, it's a lot of bread. Yeah. What's next? Uh, the next one is uh, I, moving into the, the the steakhouse realm. You know, Chicago's known for the steak scene, and this is a little bit cliche, but I'm okay embracing it. Uh, Gibson's always the highest ranked and kind of most known, kind of historical. Uh, you know big aspects of, of Chicago restaurant dining. It's, it's always got celebrities. You know, Michael Jordan was there a couple times a week when he was playing for the Bulls. So, uh, it's, it's always, it's kind of like an event going there. And yeah. the, the steak is top five in the city. Thank you. You're just knocking out my list right now. But go on to number three. Sure. So, my, this was, this was a little tricky. Um, I, I wanted to, my, my steakhouse list is, is pretty strong. Um, we, I, I'm very lucky to be marrying a, a woman from Iowa who appreciates steak. So whenever we have big nights out, we, we do steak. Um, and our personal favorite is a, a newer place called Swift and Sons. It's, uh, it's, it's a little bit smaller. It doesn't have the same kind of name and, and, and marketing and, and, uh, all those kinds of things that, that the Gibsons would have, but it is the best steak in the city. I would actually compare it to uh, to some of the, the Jeff Ruby steaks that, uh, that you guys have down there in Cincinnati. Thank you. What was the name of that again? Swift and Sons. Swift and Sons. All right. What's your last one? So, part of uh, this, uh, this, going back to the, the upcoming wedding, is I've done a lot more watching of the Food Network okay. than I ever have in my life. Sure. I'm, I'm maturing, obviously. And um, one of the top chefs in Chicago and on the Food Network is a woman named Stephanie Izard. Yeah. She uh, she had something called the Boca Restaurant Group. She uh, started out as, as her winning a few competitions on Food Network. And she's got uh, a chain of restaurants that are called like Girl and the Goat. Uh, it's probably the most famous one. But my favorite and my number four on the Mount Rushmore is a little place called Little Goats. Oh, yeah. It is. It's amazing. It's a 24-hour diner style. It's, uh, they serve breakfast all day. It's got just, I mean, it's, it's the best. It's, uh, patty melts. It's, it is in no way trying to be, uh, a snooty, upscale Chicago restaurant. It embraces the 1970s diner that could be in rural Alabama, and it's amazing. You know what? I can't say your list is trash. 
because you have three on there that I had listed on my list of seven. So I will not say your list is trash. It's actually very good. Um, I'm going to keep Pequod's on my list anyway. I'm going to go with uh, Blackbird. Um, it's been great. I think I've gone there a couple times with my wife. It seemed fancy. I always left a little bit hungry, but I think that's what I'm supposed to. Um, I will go with uh, Spiagia with Joe Flam, who won Top Chef this year. Um, mm-hmm. Is a chef there. And then, um, you know what? It's, it's because of the name and the location that I don't think it gets any respect, but Purple Pig, right on Michigan yeah. Avenue as a barbecue place, that place is great. And I always look at it, because like, when you're on Michigan, like everything is chain, you know, and even like a little bit off Michigan, and everything is, is chain type restaurant, so you don't get a lot of respect. But man, that place is awesome. It really sticks out. Um, and it's great to like, like grab lunch in between. Also, I have Frontera, which is the Rich Bayless place. I had the Girl and the Goat. I had Gibson's. Um, and Pequod's obviously is the best pizza. It blows uh, Giordano's and Gino's East out of the water. But, Brian, any of It's hard to argue this list. I've not had many meals in Chicago, but I um, I like Lou Malnati's pizza. I've never been to Pequod's, but I've heard about it. But I'm a big Lou Malnati's, Lou Malnati's fan. Um, I don't know how you don't mention Harry Carey's restaurant. And also, when I was little, I went to a place, I think, maybe you can correct me, I think it's called Superdog Drive-In. Yeah. And that was when I was a kid. I thought that was the greatest place in the world. But maybe I'm wrong. I haven't been there in a long time. Do you know those places, Adam? Uh, Superdog Drive-In is still around. It's uh, on Milwaukee downtown. It's yeah. great. It's kind of one of those been there forever aspects. Um, if I were to go hot dog, I would actually say Wiener Circle. Yeah. It's um, not a place I would take uh, a client or anybody uh, that I was trying to impress. But they do a char dog that is unbeaten in the city. Oh, that sounds so good. When was the last time you were at Harry Carey's? <laughs> it's really funny. Uh, 1998. I had, uh, uh, this is pre, this is college days. I was asked to leave Harry Carey's and I will never talk go into that place ever again. On my own choice. And probably their choice too. That's awesome. But, um, Adam, that leads us to our 30-second shot clock, your non-research rant of the week. Go ahead. Perfect. Uh, as mentioned, getting married November uh, this this year in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. And I haven't played the, the most hands-on type of role. I've, uh, I've learned from, from my, my friends and uh, more experienced colleagues to, uh, to take a back seat. But part of my responsibilities is the, uh, the night before the wedding, you know, the rehearsal dinner. And we are using a catering company that also catered a uh, birthday party for us last year. Same number of guests, same location, same menu. You say it's for a wedding, double the cost. Oh, yeah. So I've been fighting that battle for a few weeks. It's been great. Uh, I have not gotten them down a penny. You're and, a good salesperson. Um, <laughs> what's that? Good salesperson. Good negotiating. Yeah, doing great. Doing great. Really love it. Have you tried a reverse vendor lead-in? <laughs> um, I've asked them if they have any sample needs. Turns out uh, they're okay. The challenger question. That might be your question. Uh, thanks, Adam. I appreciate it. Thanks also for being a guest on the podcast. Brian, anything you want to ask Adam before we let him go? No. That's good. Um, I do have a question. So last time you were on, your Mount Rushmore was top four rappers of all time. It doesn't have to be rap, but what um, I always like to listen to what you're listening to in music. What 
is the last song that played on your phone slash iPhone slash iPod. That's a good question. Uh, when we right talk now. about remote working, I actually don't listen to music during the day. Uh, the only time I really listen to music is when I run out of podcasts while I'm driving. And I uh, will give a shout out to a, a, a Cincinnati-ish local group called Sunday Best. Mm. Uh, Jolly and I have attended a few of their concerts. And uh, I had a long drive through rural Indiana last week and uh, listened to one of their old albums. You know they broke up? So, Sunday Best. By the way, are you sad about this? Like, they officially broke well, up. Well, the last time we saw them, it looked like uh, things should be coming to an end, so it's, <laughs> it is what it is. Yeah, it did look like spring and break, spring break when mom and dad are already separated and they're just playing their parts. It was like that. Um, <laughs> I actually tried to talk current Mrs. Jolly into buying their tour bus the other day. It, like They just pretty much like maxed out a Mercedes Swift, uh, Sprinter. They put, like, two beds in it and, like, a little kitchenette. And uh, I was like, hey, this could be us. We could, this could be us road tripping from now on. But uh, she said no. She didn't respect the idea. <laughs> but that's, a, that's a great piece of musical memorabilia. I think so. I mean, they sold at least 30 records to me and you. So <laughs> Exactly. Well, Adam, thank you very much for coming on the pod. Um, we appreciate your thoughts. Thanks for the Facebook and the Cambridge Analytica talk. And I think you want to plug like where people could find you next. Sure. I will, um, I'll be attending the AA poor con- uh, conference in Denver in, uh, in mid May. It's, uh, we still don't know how to pronounce that one. Is it a poor? Is it AA poor? I've heard it both ways, but it's the American association for public opinion research, uh, May 16th through 19th in Denver. It's uh, a relatively affordable. I think they've done a good job at uh, making it a little bit more accessible for a conference. We'll be there. It'll be the first time we've gone to that in a, in a long time. Uh, really excited to kind of talk about campaign issues, Cambridge Analytica, and um, kind of what's going on uh, in the political world. Yeah, I think we need to figure out how to pronounce it. I'm going to say it's APOR because I, I think it kind of reminds me of the Key and Peele skit with Aaron. I don't think it was Aaron. Yeah, APOR. Like, they're like, you know what? We're going to say the initials, and then right in the middle, start reading. I think it's April. <laughs> but that's May 19th in Denver. Um, other parts for EMI, where you can find other people. Brian, are you going to be at the AMA in Northeast Ohio? I will be, just really soon. April 19th? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. What are you doing? Are you presenting there? <laughs> I, I am presenting with uh, Rod and Zella, and we're going to be talking about data quality, um, to expose a little bit of the sample industry. I'm looking forward to that kind of doing, I'm going to be doing kind of a 20 minute research rant. I love it. Um, I'll see something that's not on my rundown and I will be chastising producer Brian for it. I'm hosting a webinar next Thursday. Oh yeah. Hey, what do you know about that? There's a lot of signups. Yeah. Apparently not enough to get it on the rundown of the podcast, <laughs> but it is going to be April the 12th. Um, I will be speaking about B2B sample quality and I'll be, I'll be going a little more. So this is, Kind of what I talked about at SampleCon with B2B quality, what are we doing? But then it goes a little bit more in depth of things that we're doing here currently, other things that other suppliers are doing. It might be a little bit more salesy than the SampleCon. But I think when I talk a little bit more sales, like I'm, a lot of that is really what's best for you. And, and I'll be more than happy to say, hey, this isn't something we're doing. This is something we need to start doing. So hopefully that gets some people to sign up. Um, MRMW is in Cincinnati, April 24th through 25th. There is a possibility... <laughs> that there will be 
some kind of live event featuring a podcast you may or may not be listening to or tell your friends about, live recording at the, I don't know, maybe, maybe. But then we definitely will be at IIEX June 11th through 13th. We've got 50 people, it looks like, on this list that are going to be at that conference in Atlanta. I think it's going to be a whole lot of fun. I loved it last year. And last year, Cambridge Analytica talked, and I thought that was one of the highlights of the conference. Definitely. As always, you can reach us at IntelliCast at EMI-RS.com with any thoughts, any um, critiques, any ideas for upcoming shows, or if you want to be a guest, uh, EMI underscore research on Twitter, my own personal Twitter, Adam Jolly, and we will see you next week for another episode of IntelliCast. Showtime! This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.